Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Rob, and it's a joy to be here with you this morning. I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, before I introduce our speaker this morning, I do want to just take a moment and thank each and every one of you for our 10-year celebration last week. Uh, Katie and I just felt so ministered to and blessed, and it's been a joy. We went through, uh, you guys gave us a book with pictures from the time that we arrived all the way through till this time. And my big global thought was, I can't believe they've put up with me for this long. So thank you for that. And, and do know that Katie and I love this church family very much. Now, last week, I shared with you that Pastor Derek Jackson would be coming and opening up the Word of God and a little bit of the story of how our incredibly incredible sovereign God crossed our paths some 10 years ago in Dalton, Illinois. We served in church together. I was a measly little intern, and Derek was a rock star on the pastoral staff team, which I was aspiring to do at some point in ministry. Um, but God, you know, is incredible in this way. Um, a boy from Alabama meets a girl from New England, and Derek gets called to do ministry in New England. And so we cross paths through Converge. Uh, Derek serves on the board of trustees with Converge. Now, a couple of weeks ago, you, you noticed that Steve was praying and he was referencing me preaching this Sunday. That was the plan. But I had asked Derek if he would uh, sit in with me on a Zoom call and we would talk through some of these issues in about seven minutes. And we were like, uh, I don't know if seven minutes is going to cut it. <laughs> and as we were having the conversation, I felt the Holy Spirit just tapping me and saying, ask Derek if he'd be willing to come on Sunday morning and preach to the congregation. And so I did. And without hesitation, Derek agreed to come and, and open the scriptures with us this morning. So Derek, it is a joy to have you with us this morning. And may God bless you as you preach the word. Thanks, brother. Good morning. Uh, thank you guys for having me today. Uh, get my uh, tablet to agree with me here. All right. Well, I'm, I'm really pleased uh, to have the opportunity to come and worship with you this morning and to hear what the Lord has to say to us about race and the gospel. Um, I, I want to start with a word of prayer and uh, let the Spirit have his way as we go forward. Father, we're grateful uh, that you are God and that none of this depends on us. Um, so, Father, we can take the burden off and we can turn to you uh, and allow you to give us your yoke uh, because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So would you help us, Lord, uh, not to take upon ourselves the weight of the world or the, even the weight of this issue uh, but to surrender to you and allow you to show us, to teach us, to lead us and guide us by your spirit to respond in a way that honors you most. Guide us today as we share. Hide me behind the cross. Uh, Father, protect the hearts and minds of your people from my silliness and foolishness and give them your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
want to remind you to submit the questions that you might have as we go through at any point. If you have some questions, submit those through the app uh, so that we can do our best to try to answer those. Um, 60 years ago, uh, there was the civil rights movement, uh, men and women marching in the streets and saying something has to change. We as a country must do better. And as those men and women, both black and white, were marching through the streets saying we must do better as a country, there were white supremacists saying stop it, leave our country alone, you're trying to change our country. And it seems that 60 years later, we have returned. At least two generations have gone by. Now, in, in, in some biblical circles, it's not even a full generation that's gone past, but, but most, most scholars and, and biblical people would say at least one generation has passed, and possibly even two. And yet, we still face the same issue all over again. Why are we facing this issue again? Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 20, in those books, we get the Ten Commandments. And here's something that God said to initiate the giving of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5 verses 8 and 10. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I believe that what we're dealing with is the iniquity of the fathers being passed down to the second, the third, and even the fourth generations. And if we don't do something about it, then it just passes on to the next generation. And I believe that it is the responsibility of the church to be in the forefront of addressing this issue. Because when we start talking about race, we're not talking about skin color. Yes, we are talking about skin color, but there's a deeper issue. We're talking about the hearts and souls of men and women. And if the church is in the heart and soul winning business, and the hearts and souls of men and women are not being moved to the Lord, then the problem seems to be coming from the church. We have a responsibility to be the very presence of God on this earth. And if we are such, then we should be bringing about a change in this realm. You see, for God, unity is a kingdom value. Unity is a kingdom value, and God wants his church to embrace this idea of unity, togetherness, oneness in him. 
In John 17, verses 18 through 20, Jesus speaking or praying to the Father on behalf of the disciples prays this way. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as, Father, you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This unity thing that God values is one of the evidences that Jesus came to redeem. And so when the church models this unity across boundaries, whether it's racial, whether it's ethnicities, whether it's age, whether it's gender, whatever those boundaries might be, when the church finds ways to bridge those gaps for the gospel of Christ, we represent the very presence of God on the earth. Unity in Christ is our witness. I would that when the world is trying to figure out how to respond to race in America, that they would turn to the church and ask the question, how do we do it? But unfortunately, when the world was going crazy and trying to figure out how do we respond to the racial issues in our country, they looked to the church and heard silence. In Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus says this to his disciples. Jesus is about to leave, and he's giving a commission to his disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, of all ethnos, of all ethnicities, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, it's Jesus' objective that the church would win people to Christ so that they might be able to win people to Christ that can then win people to Christ who would then win people to Christ. Now, I could go on and on and on and on because this is what Jesus intended. He didn't intend for us to say yes to Jesus and come to church and do all the church stuff. He intended for us to fall in love with him and experience the love of the Father and then tell other people about this love that we're experiencing with the Father so that they would desire to have that love also. You see, God didn't call us to come to the church. He called us to be the church out there. So we come here to train, to learn what it's like and how to be the church out there. That's why we come to worship service. That's why we go to small groups. That's why we go to Bible studies. That's why we do the outreach events. We do all of that as a form of training so that when we're at work, we know how to interact with other people around the word of God. When we're out at the mall, we know how to act in a way that would draw people to us, not because we're acting crazy, but because we are living lives that bring honor and glory to the Father. Our responsibility is to impact culture with the values of God's kingdom. 
And if culture's not being impacted with the values of God's kingdom, you got to look at the church. And we have to ask, why? You see, the church should represent the kingdom value of unity in all that we do. Because we've been made in the image of God. And when we consider the image of God, we know that it was his intention to, that we might experience this kind of unity, this kind of multi-dimensional relationship. When we look at the scriptures, we see God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When we see Jesus, it's not Jesus alone by himself saving everyone. He equips and empowers the disciples to go out. They go out two by two, and then eventually they go out all over the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling people about what they experienced with Jesus and how they can have the same thing. This is the model that God is calling us to as Christians. We haven't carried this out very well. In Ephesians chapter 4, there are some instructions about how we can do this thing that God has called us to how we can live out this unity in the body of Christ. Paul writes, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You see, we have a lot of work to do because there are people who know Christ as their personal Savior who believe that their lives do not matter. And I get it. Out there in the secular world, this idea of Black Lives Matter has, has connotations that are related to the world. But in the body of Christ, Black Lives Matter. Not uppercase or lowercase or without that group or without. No, in God's eyes, every life matters. And so as believers, we can say clearly and distinctly that black lives matter. Because we're not bound to the world and the world's standards. The church should be pointing out what it means that black lives matter. This is how it looks. This is what it means. And this is how we carry it out. But if the church doesn't take the lead, then the world takes their own lead and they come up with their own ideas. There are many who believe that black people just aren't doing their part. They're whining, they're complaining, they're getting angry, they're tearing things up, and this makes no sense. I wanna give you a picture of why someone might be so angry as to go out and protest and say enough, no more. I want you to imagine that as I'm standing here preaching, that, that somewhere in this room or, or in the other room where, where, um, where people are together, that one of the chairs breaks and it tumbles over and the person is writhing in pain on the floor. 
Now, I might stop preaching for a moment to make sure that that person is being dealt with and, and being helped, and they might even take that person out of the room, and then I would pull us back together, get us focused, and we keep going just like we were going. But what if, as they were taking that person out, another person's chair breaks, and they fall over, and they're writhing in pain? Well, now we're trying to get some more people, and I might be trying to say, oh, we're okay, guys, we're all right, we just had to, but it's okay, and I try to get you back together, and as I'm trying to get you back, another chair breaks, and a person falls over, and they're writhing in pain. At this point, how many of you will remain seated in your chair? We would all start thinking something's wrong with these chairs. And chairs might need to be collected and, and examined and to figure out why chairs are breaking. And I'm confident that everyone would say, before I go back to that church, we need to know what happened with those chairs. And that's what's happening with blacks and people of color. The chairs keep breaking. And I'm not sitting in that chair again until someone examines it and finds out why. And if the church needs to replace every chair, the church would do that. The church would put forth that cost to keep its people safe. And shouldn't it be the same for the lives of human beings? No human being should walk out the door afraid that they're going to be murdered or that they're going to be attacked or that they're going to be spoken down to. I'm going to share two instances very briefly with you. Back in April, my little sticker expired. Of course, we're in the throes of the pandemic, so nobody's dealing with stickers because there's a bigger issue. So we get an extension until July. Well, July comes, and I haven't gotten my sticker. I called the place to figure out, hey, can I bring my, well, we're not taking people yet. Yikes. So now I am concerned that I cannot drive my car because without that sticker, if it's not the right color, I could get pulled over by the police. So personally for me, I don't want to encourage an interaction with the police. I drive a hoopty. It's an old car, it's got rust stains, and it has no hubcaps. And a black man in a car like that is probably going to get pulled over by the police just to be checked out. And so to avoid that, I'm not driving my car until I can get, a, until I can get that thing into the shop and get a fresh sticker so that I can be okay. Now I'm going to share something else with you. I went walking through our neighborhood, and there's this one intersection where there's no light. People just have to let you, let you cross when it's really busy. And on this particular day, I'm standing there waiting for the, waiting for the opportunity to, to cross, and this truck comes up, and there's this big American flag hanging off the back of it. Now, I'll tell you right now, when I see a big American flag hanging off the back of a pickup truck, I don't always think to myself, go America. I always think to myself, uh-oh, are they okay? <laughs> are they for me or against me? So the truck stops, and I assume, okay, I can cross. So I start crossing. I do my cursory nod, thank you. And as I'm crossing the street, the window rolls down, and the guy says, ma'am, are you trying to cross the street? I stopped for you. And I realize, oh, that older woman that was standing there is why he stopped. 
and he wants to let her by. Now listen, I've got no reason to believe that that guy's a racist or that he was trying to communicate that I didn't stop for you, black man. There's no reason for me to believe that. And yet, there's reason for me to believe that. And when you live life like that day after day after day, you just want the chairs to stop breaking. This is why there are protests. This is why there's anger. This is why people are banging and saying, stop. Because no one should live that way day after day after day. And instead of trying to protect ourselves, instead of trying to protect our perspective, instead of trying to protect our systems, we should be willing to say, let's examine the chairs. Let's figure out why they're breaking and make a change. I'm suggesting that in the church, we've not always examined the chairs. Historically in the church, the church has allowed evil practices that have oppressed and suppressed people of color. When blacks were first brought to this country, the church overlooked and looked beyond the kidnapping of people and forcing them into work. The church often utilized the curse of Ham to devalue the black life. The church often utilized its facilities to hold meetings for supremacist groups, white supremacist groups. And oftentimes, even the pastors and deacons were members of these white supremacist groups. You see, the church doesn't have a very good track record at speaking out against those things that harm other people, particularly in relationship to race. Not only was this true, but blacks were denied access to churches. For a while, blacks weren't even allowed to become Christians. And then blacks were told, you have to become a Christian, and if you become a Christian, I'll let you work on my property for free. And then after black people started becoming a part of the church, they were denied access to the regular congregation and they had to sit in what was called the peanut gallery. Or downstairs or outside and just listen in until blacks decided we'll start our own church in the late, in the early 1800s. You see, the church has not done a very good job of the unity piece. And we have not impacted culture with the values of God's kingdom when it comes to race. And it's time that we do. The scriptures are clear in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to be one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In God's kingdom economy, the value of togetherness is greater than the value of onlyness. And unfortunately, the culture around us is all about onlyness. Mine, me, what I can get, what I can have, how much I can get, how much I can have. 
And if we're going to impact culture, we have to change that mindset. I want to encourage you, Austerville, today that your decision to go on this journey, to figure out what God would have Austerville do, how you should respond, I want you to know that I am so grateful to God that I can join you in that. Join you in trying to figure out how to move forward in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And if thus far you've come up with some questions, make sure to put the, go through the app and ask those questions. <laughs> but in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of God's gift. So we need to ask ourselves the question, how do we learn? How do we learn the things that we need to know so that we can know how to respond to what's going on in this country regarding race? Because we need to educate ourselves. We don't know enough. And it doesn't matter how many books you've read or how many videos you've seen, we still don't know enough. We still need to read and learn and grow and, and ask questions and be asked questions and have conversations and have dialogue. It must continue and continue and continue. We should never stop asking the questions. We should never stop dialoguing. We should come together collectively and learn, not just as individuals, but together we should be learning. And then there are some fundamental things that we can be doing. We can be asking ourselves the question, how are we doing in regard to diversity of ages? You know, are, are those who are elderly that are a part of this community, are they a part of this community? Or are they their own separate thing, a group of people that have to be taken care of and coddled? What's their role here? What about children? Are children a part of this community? Or are they just an appendage that we take care of and we do things for? What about teenagers? Are they a part of this community? Or do they have their own thing and teenagers do whatever they do and we just hope they don't get hurt? We have to represent diversity in age. What about singles? How are singles affected in this community? Whether they're single, never married, or whether they're widowed, or whether they're divorced. How, how are singles a part of this body? What about those with disabilities? When a person with disabilities come through those doors, do they feel like a person of value? who can engage in ministry at this place? Or are they an object that needs to be dealt with and helped and moved along? Not to mention gender, geography, socioeconomics, and certainly what we've been talking about, race. You see, our family of origin has affected how we see the world and how we see race. So when we think about race and what to do about that, whether our family talked about race a lot or whether our family talked about race not at all, what we experience in our family of origin affects how we respond even today. I want to admonish you that we are all a part of a new family, the family of God. We have a new family of origin, and we should respond to race the way our Father responds to race. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. After this, or this is what John says, given, uh, based on what he was given by the Sovereign Lord. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You see, in one, one day, we're all going to be together, and it's not going to matter what our race is. It's not going to matter what town we're from. It's not going to matter what our education is. It's not going to matter how, where we were educated or how we were educated or what our age or any of those things. We're going to be worshiping the Lord. That's going to be our focus, the worship of the Lord. And today, we get to practice. While we're here on this earth, we get to practice and get ready for what's going to happen in heaven. So as we begin to come together and operate in unity, we begin to experience what it might be like in heaven. When my brother sitting next to me is my brother sitting next to me, where I celebrate the differences of my ethnicity and my brother or sister's ethnicity. When we celebrate our differences and not point them out so that the other person knows that my difference is better than your difference. You see, then we can truly be God's representative in the earth. I applaud your efforts here at Osterville Baptist Church to address this issue and seek out biblical diversity. We must be intentional and purposeful about creating atmospheres, creating environments where people can gather together and have these types of discussions in a safe manner. Because as we learn, as we discuss, and as we grow, we can then be the representatives that God has called us to be. I'll leave you with this passage of scripture, and I'm going to read this from the contemporary English version out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, because this is really what it's all about. This will continue until we are united by one faith and by our understanding of the Son of God. Then we will be mature, just as Christ is, and we will be completely like him. All of our efforts should be to be completely like him and to help others become like him as well. Because if our focus is the worship of God, we'll focus less on the focus of race. Let's pray. Father, there's much that needs to be done, so much to cover, so much to consider. But Father, we want everyone to feel safe sitting in the chair. So would you help us to take courage to examine the chairs, to examine the processes and systems that govern our churches and our land so that when all is said and done, you would be able to say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. In Christ's name we pray, amen.